we're in a situation where we have put together and you guys did, did it for our administration, the President Obama's administration before this. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the BCP podcast. Let's address the elephant in the room, the elephant in the world, the fourth sham indictment of our duly elected and beloved President Donald John Trump. I've doing this per request and also because of something I was planning on doing, great minds think alike. For the foreseeable future, the intro to our show will be that 20 plus second clip of Joe Biden talking about how they have an expansive and inclusive voter fraud operation because all of the pain, not all the pain folks, don't want to assign all the pain. The political pain that we are feeling right now in the United States with everything going wrong is because we had a stolen election and we the people did nothing about it. The nation did nothing about it. Our leaders did nothing about it. And we have a fake president in the Oval Office. And this fourth sham indictment, everything I, every time I feel like we've hit a new low, every time I feel like we just can't get any lower than where we're at right now, we can't prove to the world any more that we have become an absolute banana republic. Something like what happened last night happens and we hit a new low and signal to the world the United States has become a laughingstock. Just in case you didn't know, President Trump was indicted late last night in Fulton County, Atlanta, Georgia by deep state operative Fonnie Willis, a corrupt judge and a system that already had put out the indictment on their website before the grand jury even convened and deliberated. Absolute banana republicanism right in front of our freaking faces. The live look at Atlanta, Georgia this morning, where former President Donald Trump and 18 of his associates have been charged now by the Atlanta Fulton County District Attorney. All of them charged with violating Georgia's RICO Act, same charges used to prosecute the mob. A grand jury in Fulton County, Georgia, indicting former President Donald Trump and 18 of his allies late last night on 41 total criminal counts in the 2020 election case. This is the fourth time the president has been indicted this year and the second time this month. Trump is being charged with 13 counts in this case, including Georgia's anti-racketeering law, conspiracy, false statements, and asking a public official to violate their oath of office. Georgia's district attorney, Fannie Willis, giving Trump and the others named in the indictment until August 25th to surrender. The indictment includes 41 felony counts and is 97 pages long. Please remember 
that everyone charged in this bill of indictment is presumed innocent. Specifically, the indictment brings felony charges against Donald John Trump. The 97-page indictment, as described by the district attorney in Fulton County, uh, holds 41 felony counts, 13 of them against the former president, charging him with a number of things, including racketeering. Taking all of these, and they are serious, again, not one, not two, not three, but four indictments now, uh, and if, again, all of these happening, coming down, if holding again, if convicted on this, you're talking a lifetime uh, behind bars. Um, but taking all of the seriousness away from that, all of this is playing a part at a very coincidental time, if you wanted to describe it that way, all happening again within a primary presidential primary election season, beginning again, kicking off in January. Now, at this point, it's beyond evident and obvious that this whole thing is manufactured. It is theater. Everything is put in place. I mean, once again, they uploaded the indictments before the grand jury even had convened and deliberated. And they try to pass it off by saying the courthouse, by saying, oh, it, uh, it, it, it's, a, it it's fictitious because it's not official. Because it, it needs to have a date, it needs to have a uh, case number, it needs to have a judge assigned. All those things were already done on that document, which then they, they, they took down. It's because everything was in place for the press, for the Democrats. It was all show. And you don't need to be Trump's attorney to see that. You could. I want to bring in Alina Haba now, uh, spokesperson for the president. Alina, good to have you on. Uh, any... Uh... Speaking to the president tonight, do you got any word from him at this point? Uh, I have spoken with the president. You know, what can you expect him to be saying? This is the same as, as every other week for him, unfortunately. And I know that we were not surprised. You weren't surprised. I wasn't surprised by this. Most certainly he wasn't. We know their games. We see the barricades go up. We see the PR people get ready. We see the campaign websites get fixed and uploaded last week by Fanny. So that says it all to me. This is just a show. And the fact that there were cameras behind the scenes, behind a judge's office, it's a despicable situation in Georgia. Um, this, this, to me, yes. frankly, disturbed me more than any of the others, uh, to be honest. The reason why this fourth one is disturbing is because it's not just against Trump. They brought in 18 other people under this indictment to make a RICO racketeering case and most of it is is predicated and built on violation of our First Amendment rights. That's why it's scary, because if this thing is allowed to go forward, it isn't stopped, it could set precedent that you can't say anything that the deep state doesn't want you to say or the tyrants want you to say, or you can be indicted and put in jail, even if you're a former president. But only if you're part of the opposing party that is currently in power. Joining me now, former Trump White House Associate Counsel, May Mailman. May, it's great to have you here uh, this morning. Your initial reaction, I think the biggest, uh, the eye-opening thing in all of this is it's this language of it's a criminal enterprise and the use of racketeering laws in Georgia to bring down this indictment against the former president. Yeah, so Fonnie Willis, the district attorney in Fulton County, considers herself an expert 
in Georgia's racketeering law because she used it in 2015 successfully against a bunch of teachers. So this is something, this is a dog with a bone. She was very excited to use it. Everyone knew that she was going to use it. And when you read the indictment, it is a kitchen sink. It is Mark Meadows asking for someone's phone number. It's emails that have nothing to do with Trump or what Trump asked. It's just people doing things. And the RICO statute basically says, I'm going to take all of those things and I'm going to pin them to the group. I'm going to pin them to this criminal enterprise. And that criminal enterprise, she's saying, involves Donald Trump. And so in this case, she's not really being specific about what here is overturning the election and what isn't. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Who's doing what, whether Donald Trump had knowledge, whether he was participating. It is just random acts by random people that are all then being pinned on the former president. These charges accusing President Trump and his allies of trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election results, specifically in the state of Georgia. The president released a new statement just a short time ago, calling the indictment a dark period for the U.S., saying, quote, this politically inspired indictment, which could have been brought close to three years ago, was tailored for placement right smack in the middle of my political campaign, where I'm leading all Republicans. Now, the current strategy here between Jack Smith and Fannie Willis is, yeah, throw everything in the, uh, but the kitchen sink and the kitchen sink at President Trump. But they're actually taking two different approaches. Jack Smith only indicting President Trump and Fannie Willis indicting everyone and anyone that's even been to the White House, essentially, it seems like, to visit President Trump. Well, I think the, the big question here is because there's so many defendants in this, uh, including Mark Meadows, his former chief of staff on down, uh, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, Jenny Ellis, uh, Jenna Ellis, excuse me, is that is the thinking here is that you're going to just, you know, charge all of these extra people and then hope that some of them will testify against the president and further strengthen her case against him. Yeah, it's basically the opposite approach of Jack Smith in the D.C. case, where he only went after Trump and didn't name anybody else. And people were wondering, well, maybe that's a strategy. People want to stay hidden. Mark Meadows' name is not listed at all. And then here's the opposite. I'm going to name you. Maybe you'll flip. I can't say that Bonnie Willis has a strategy that is legal. I, I can say that she has a strategy that is political. Yeah, Emma, so we're going to take you through some of the basics here because there's a lot going on. Obviously, this one here in Atlanta, we're watching New York, D.C., Florida, and now the newest one here in Georgia. Uh, the basics here, former President Trump was given until August 25th, along with the others, to surrender. 
again, along with more than a dozen others before being officially charged here. So it's a long list um, that you're seeing, including some of closest uh, Trump's closest advisors and his time in the White House. Uh, Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, uh, former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, as you see here among the list of those indicted. The list includes all the people either they worked alongside him in the days leading up to the election or after it. But again, just taking a look at the names here. So again, the former president, obviously the headliner here. Then you have 18 others. New York former mayor Rudy Giuliani, obviously Trump's attorney at the time. Uh, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows here. You may notice Jenna Ellis, another name that you've seen here. And then, of course, uh, Sidney Powell listed as well. Uh, Again, all of this brought together. Again, that is a lot in terms of how this plays out, and it does so with RICO charges, the former president facing RICO charges. If you're wondering, that stands for Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations. Again, right here, essentially making it a crime to participate in, acquire, or maintain control of an enterprise through a pattern of racketeering activity or to conspire to do so. The alleged scheme does not have to be successful for a RICO charge to apply. You're probably thinking what I'm thinking. Yes, there should be RICO charges against Obama, against Biden, against Harris, against uh, those people that all conspired to during 2020 on the Democrat side to assist in getting 2% and 7% Joe and Kamala Harris to the top of the ticket by screwing over Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and other people that were doing a lot better than Biden and Harris. That was a real racketeering, and it was successful, along with all the people in Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, Georgia, etc., that were all part of this racketeering and this RICO operation that was successful in giving us a fake president. All right, so this is absolute proof that the rigging did happen and it happened very, very strongly in Georgia. You have Brian Kemp coming out. No, not not defending republicanism or the rule of law. Nope, doubling down on the lie that we had fair uh, and, and, and free and secure elections in 2020 and that Joe Biden is the rightful winner. It all started in the days after the 2020 election. Then-President Trump had just come up short and refused to concede. His allies wasted no time going on the offense, first calling for Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to resign. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham making one of the first phone calls into Raffensperger's office to discuss Georgia's results. Uh, The future of the country hangs in the balance. On December 3rd, Rudy Giuliani, Trump's then-attorney, met Georgia State Senators and began claiming Fulton County's election workers committed ballot fraud while counting votes at State Farm Arena. Then came a Trump request for a special state legislative session to investigate voter fraud. It was quickly shut down by Governor Brian Kemp. Governor Brian Kemp, a Republican and governor, is a rhino. He's part of the problem. He is our enemy. He is our op- uh, opponent. They Everything in 2020 was, let's say Joe Biden is the rightful owner and let's deny every due process to prove otherwise. And then now we're into, let's criminalize saying that Joe Biden isn't the legitimate president by making it a crime based on conspiracy to commit sedition and other acts that are made up. Now, real quick, because I want to finish this on government uh, Governor Kemp, 
President Trump uh, has uh, tweeted uh, a truth this out. A large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report on the presidential election fraud, which took place in Georgia, is almost complete and will be presented by me at a major news conference at 11 a.m. on Monday of next week in Bedminster, New Jersey. Based on the results of this conclusive report, all charges should be dropped against me and others. There will be a complete exoneration. They never went after those that rigged the election. They only went after those that fought to find the riggers. And among those riggers is Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. He is falling in line with doubling down on the lie. Governor Kemp took President Trump's truth social and replied to it on Twitter saying, the 2020 election in Georgia was not stolen. For nearly three years now, anyone with evidence of fraud has failed to come forward under oath and prove anything in a court of law. Our elections in Georgia are secure, accessible, and fair and will continue to be as long as I am governor. The future of our country is at stake in 2024 and that must be our focus. What a freaking liar. We all know the truth here. People have come forward under oath and they would not take on their cases, including the Supreme Court, or they said, oh, they don't have standing. So nothing's been able to be proven in court because they haven't allowed it. The elections uh, in Georgia are not secure, accessible, and fair. We have Ms. Freeman and her daughter literally taking out boxes from underneath the table. Uh, they had a water break uh, leak, and then everyone was left, was told to go out, but Democrat operatives were in there stuffing ballots and taking uh, pre-printed ballots and counting them in. It's an absolute farce to even try to pull that off, that big lie to us, Brian Kemp. We know that you're part of the problem. We know that you are just not even a rhino. You're a Democrat operative masquerading as a Republican. This is the uniparty, the United States-wide uniparty, not just in D.C., that we are seeing right before our eyes. All of these events setting in motion a phone call between Trump and Raffensperger on January 2nd, 2021. I just want to find... uh... 11,780 votes. After the phone call was leaked, Trump found himself in the crosshairs of newly elected Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. Obviously, it's been reported around the world, that phone call. And so we have said, yes, that is part of the investigation, but we're not narrowing it to that. Now, let me just remind you that this is one of those things that's often uh, misquoted, even though we have the uh, we have the recording. I just want to find 11,780 votes. President Trump didn't tell Raffensperger, go find me 11,780 votes. It's a game of semantics, but they know that the wording is important. That's why they keep lying about what President Trump actually said. But like we've been saying, this whole thing is theater. Now, Fannie Willis and Georgia have said that when President Trump turns himself in and all these things happened... Uh, and the trial will be televised. Is that a good idea? What are your thoughts? Please put it down below. Uh, Let me ask you about this. Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney allowing cameras inside the courtroom to take pictures and videos of the county clerk as the indictment was delivered. So it's not clear now, as of today, if they're going to be allowed in for his arraignment 
or a potential trial, which, by the way, she's saying six months, which seems a little quick to me. Uh, federal judges in D.C. and South Florida, they ruled against the use of the cameras uh, in those cases. What is your thoughts on this? I am not in favor of cameras. I know that the argument in favor is you don't want this to be an inkblot test. You don't want statements to come out of the courtroom. And then if you're a Republican, you believe something. If you're a Democrat, you believe something. You know, kind of like Devin Archer testifying, everybody just ends up believing what they believe. You really want to see and show the people. And I, I understand that argument. But I think the flip side is that when you allow cameras in the courtroom, it is no longer about the truth. It is no longer about preserving the due process of the defendants, the multiple defendants here. Instead, it's about showmanship and the attorneys making a name for themselves. I think you see this in the White House press briefing room, where especially during the Trump administration, you would have a lot of uh, reporters trying to make a name for themselves by really going after Sarah Sanders, going after Kaylee McEnany, because they wanted themselves to be a, a household name. And that is purely, purely a result of cameras. And I don't think it's good for our legal process. I don't think it was good for the political process to turn something very serious, like a presidential briefing, into a clown show. This whole thing already is a clown show. I'm guessing that they're just going to allow these cameras to happen. This was an article from the New York Post, and it was being reported before the indictments actually had come out uh, yesterday. It said a Georgia, uh, Georgia judge will let the watching world see him sign off on charges against former President Donald Trump if he is indicted for his efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election in the Peach State. If a grand jury presents the indictment, that's usually in the afternoon, and you can film and, and photograph that. Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney said while discussing the looming case during a separate proceeding on Monday, according to the messenger, it is unclear whether the judge's ruling would be in effect for the duration of any trial. Well, if we look at the comportment and the glee that the judge had being a rock star there and how he wants to give the Marxist mockingbird press exactly what they want, then I'm guessing the whole operation is going to be to have this televised. They want the fame. They want to be known as the ones who took down President Trump. And what am I referring to? I'm referring to when, after the indictments were read, the judge was joking with the mockingbird Marxist press that he gave them what they want. It was all a joke to them. All right. Thanks, Sheriff. Good luck the rest of the evening. Appreciate it. You bet. That's it. Was it all you hoped it would be? Can you tell us what it says? I did get a good look. <laughs> you see that everything's a joke to them. Everything's, this whole thing's a circus. They're in on it. Ha 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 Did you guys get what you wanted? You salivating, foaming at the mouth press. Did I give you the other indictment that you're waiting for that you wanted so badly? Yes, I did. Bravo. Clap your hands and... Pat my back. All right, folks. Uh, Anthony Scott over at the Gateway Pundit, this great little article, just showing you how everything is rigged and they're all in on it and they're all uh, partisan players here. There's no, there's no judgment here. There's no judges. There's no impartiality. Look at this. Look at this. Wife of judge overseeing Trump's Fulton County case donated to Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Biden follows them on Facebook too. 
Fulton County Judge Robert McBurney, who is currently presiding over Trump's election interference case, may have to recuse himself from taking the case due to his wife's previous financial support to Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Joe Biden. Donation records from Open Secret reveals Courtney McBurney, the wife of Judge Robert McBurney, previously donated to Barack Obama in 2008, Hillary Clinton in 2016, and Joe Biden in 2020. She's consistent in supporting the deep state Democrats' choice because for them, it's been very obvious that it's all about selection, not election. As corrupt as the Republican Party is in 2016, even though they wanted Jeb Bush or their new face darling, Marco Rubio, and I like Marco Rubio for the most part, uh, no, the voters, the Republican RNC was forced to go with what the people wanted. The Democrats said, hell no. Rigged against Bernie in 2016, but Bernie was smart. He says, oh man, I'll make a whole lot of money on this. He did it again in 2020 and got paid off again. Now, according to her LinkedIn, Courtney Bernie uh, worked at uh, General Electric for over 10 years while being based in Atlanta, which confirms the employment information recorded by Open Secrets. So this article is just confirming that it's the same uh, Courtney McBurney. And on her Facebook account, she also follows both Barack Obama and Joe Biden's political pages. Of course, the Republicans are weak. They're not going to call for or make any kind of recusal here. Just like over in New York, you know, literally people working for the other side of the judge's daughter working for these campaigns and for all the marketing of Democrats. But that's okay. That's okay. There's no problem there. It's all a big circus. Now, let's get back to Hawaii. I know one person that doesn't want to talk about Hawaii and continues not wanting to talk, to talk about Hawaii, and that is the fake president, Joe Biden. This is Joe Biden today, Tuesday, leaving the White House, shuffling across the South Lawn to Marine One en route to Wisconsin, smirking and shuffling along and refusing to answer any questions about the rising death toll in Maui. They're asking him questions. Do you have any comments on the death toll? And he's smiling and smirking and waving as they're asking him about the death of Americans. All right, there's more shady stuff with this disaster in Hawaii. Let's get into that now. And I want to start off in a weird place. I want to start off with PolitiFact, which is debunking something that has come out the last several days. And I've seen uh, many of you comment and post on locals and other places. James, talk about this. Look into this. Uh, I had seen these things as well. So let's uh, let's talk about this. Why am I showing you this PolitiFact thing? Well, let me show this uh, to you here. PolitiFact letting us know Maui fires are part of an intentional effort to rebuild the island into a smart island. False. False. And where is this coming from? Well, it's coming from several things online, especially on TikTok and Instagram. Videos like this one that are going viral. So today we're going to give a little update on the Hawaiian fires. Now, I want you to look at this footage. And this sure doesn't look like a fire to me. It looks like something almost exploded or something went off. Now, what's interesting is certain things are still standing while other things are not. Now, the governor did say this is climate change doing this. Interesting. What they don't talk about is in January how they had in Maui 
a smart city conference to turn Maui into an entire smart island, changing everything to electric, renewables, solar panels, and pushing everybody into electric vehicles, 15-minute smart cities. So now what's also interesting is next month in September, Hawaii is hosting the Digital Government Summit utilizing AI to govern the island. Hmm. It's almost like they're resetting something to start rebuilding for this in which they're trying to push. Now, when we look at all the climate change narrative that they're going to try to push, but they're not going to talk about the Weather Modification Act of 1976. I highly recommend everybody look into this act because who is involved in the weather modification activities? Department of Agriculture, Department of Defense, Department of Interior, EPA, and NASA. So if they're modifying the weather, then could they have caused this event? So if we see that the Department of Defense and other factions are responsible for modifying the weather, well then if we look at direct energy weapons, we can maybe see how this can all relate to this event. So is there any validity or truth to this possible connection between smart cities and symposiums and conferences and goals to what happened right now? I don't know, let's turn to PolitiFact because they sure seem to want to, I mean, PolitiFact as opposed to, I don't know, political stuff, but no, 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 they have quite a few entries in debunking this. So let's see, let's, let's look, this is just fun, folks. This is just fun. Let's see how they debunk this. Okay, first of all, they want you to know that the wildfires, uh, wild, wildfires in Maui have killed 96 people so far. This is updated as of the 14th. Uh, they say, after repeating what the person says in the video, that the post was flagged as part of Meta's effort to combat false news and information on its news feed. Oh, because Meta and Facebook took it down. That's why it's fake news. The video uses several real or planned events to baselessly suggest the Hawaii fires were pur purposely set so the, so the government can remake the island. We found other social media posts making similar claims about the fires in smart cities. So, so far they haven't debunked anything. They haven't addressed the actual claims and things made in there. You know why? Because they don't want to. So, let me look into this further, folks. I don't think there's much more than that. We know that direct energy weapons exist. Oh, by the way, let, let me let me pause here. They do exist. The Government Accountability Office put out this video three months ago. The Department of Defense spends about $1 billion annually developing directed energy weapons, such as high energy lasers and high powered microwaves. These weapons can disrupt or destroy their targets at the speed of light. For example, DOD has developed high energy lasers that have successfully shot down drones, but speed isn't their only advantage. They're also less expensive per use than traditional weapons like guns and missiles. So the technology exists and the government says that they're spending a billion dollars a year developing it. Hmm. See, this is how the government, this is how liars, this, this is how the deep state, all governments, corrupt governments operate. They give you a little bit of truth and then they lie. So they go, yeah, we have directed energy weapons. Of course, they have to admit that because there's lots of scientists working on it. But then they say, you know, we're just developing it and uh, that's about it. It still isn't put in use yet. Despite those potential advantages, 
DOD has had trouble getting these technologies out of the lab and into service. The Army has developed a detailed transition plan to support moving these weapons into the next stages of development. We recommended that the Navy and the Air Force develop similar plans. What malarkey. You look into these directed energy weapons. They're exactly as they say, the name says, directed energy weapons. They want to hit a whole... Let's say there's five homes surrounded by shrubbery, greenery, and what have you. The directed energy weapon can go boop, 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 hit that Tesla, hit that house or that thing and leave everything else in the surrounding area unburned. Perhaps that might be, that just might be an answer to why you see things burn down to a crisp in the middle of vegetation and the vegetation is unsinged or untouched. Okay, let's put that aside for a second and let's talk about things that we actually do know are happening. CBS News, uh, Face a Nation with Margaret Brennan, had a discussion with Jill Tokuda of Hawaii, a representative of Hawaii. They talked about the devastation and what have you. Now, one very, very uh, important part of this had to do with the warning system. Pay attention. And Congresswoman, I mean, the state the state claims to have had one of the largest hazard warning systems out there, something like 80 sirens in the Maui area. How did this system fail to warn those people to flee? Well, you know, everybody who's ever lived in Hawaii knows the warning sirens. It goes off once a month at the beginning of the month at 12 noon and it blares. And if it doesn't, it gets fixed because that is our first line of defense. Unfortunately, in this situation, sadly, tragically in this situation, um, those sirens likely did not go off. The warning signals that were on cell phones, we had no cell coverage or electricity in some of these areas. And the reality is with those warning signs, it tells all of us to turn on the television or look at our phones or turn on the radio. The reality is with how fast this burn was, and you could see it in the videos that survivors were showing me. You could see it in the wreckage. Uh, if you turned on your phone, you turned on a radio, if you even could. Remember, things were out mm -hmm. at that particular point. You would not know what the crisis was. You might think it's a tsunami, by the way, which is our first instinct. Yeah. You would run towards land, which in this case would be towards fire. Yeah, as we talked about before, they weren't activated. And then some people were confused and actually thought it was a tsunami. So they went toward land as opposed to away from the fires. I don't know how many, I don't know if we'll ever know how many deaths were accounted for that. Uh, but, you know, don't worry about it. If we go over to NBC News and their reporting, the system worked, at least part of it. So everything, uh, everything is fine. I mean, we shouldn't read into it too much. Hawaii's emergency warning sirens weren't activated to alert residents, agency says. While neither Maui nor Hawaii emergency management activated warning sirens on Maui during the wildfire incident, the agency said three other alert systems were implemented. But what good are those systems if the radio, phone, and TV lines are down? That's why the sirens in the first place. Okay, and we're going to end with this. Let me play you the next part about uh, how expensive all of this is going to be and how we're bankrupt in FEMA as we continue spending billions, excuse me, sending and spending billions on Ukraine. 
FEMA has estimated the cost of reconstruction will be close to $6 billion, but they've also said they are facing a $4 billion shortfall by the end of, of September. All right, let's think about this. The governor and the governor of Hawaii says it's going to be about $6 billion to rebuild Hawaii. FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency, is $4 billion deficit. You know, we don't have enough money to for federal emergencies, but we have plenty of money for Ukrainian emergencies. And, of course, we know that you should always be wary when the government says, we're the government and we're here to help, because the government probably, if they weren't the actual cause of a problem, were probably pretty instrumental in that problem occurring in the first place. So I say all that to say this. Let's look at what the Hawaiian government and the governor is proposing to help Hawaiians. Remember, when the government says we're here to help, you should be very wary with that in mind. Look at this. Post-millennium, Hawaii governor says state is looking to acquire land that was destroyed in fires. On Monday, Hawaiian governor Josh Green announced that his administration was considering acquiring properties in the seaside resort town that had been destroyed by the recent wildfires. He vowed to prevent foreign buyers from swooping in to exploit the tragedy, suggesting the state was better suited to take control of the land. So let me get this straight. The government of Hawaii wants to just buy all the land, now at a discount because it's all destroyed, to save people from being exploited by foreign people who want to build there. And they already stated they have plans to make Hawaii a smart place with AI and technology and overlords controlling everything, even having a summit that was supposed to take place, or I guess it is taking place, maybe it's not in Maui, next month. And I'm the crazy tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. Hmm. Hmm. I'll be back tomorrow with more conspiracy theories and or news. You decide. Gotta give us what we want. Uh. Gotta give us what we need. Hey. Our freedom of speech is freedom of death. We, we got, got to fight the powers that be. Fight the power. Fight the power.